Hello, welcome back to Around Serie A in 20 Days. I am, as always, Michael Nimmo, the author of the book, and you can find out more about that from www.michaelnimmo.com. You may be able to tell that today I'm a bit choked with the cold, but hopefully that doesn't impinge on your enjoyment of this episode because I'd recorded the reading a few days ago. I'm pleased to say that it is now also subscribable through iTunes. So please, 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 please subscribe through iTunes. And if you like what you hear, rate it and review it. And if you like what you hear and don't have the book, buy the book. Still, no theme tune. So let's get into my journey when I went to see Sampdoria. Enjoy. Ciao, ciao. Chapter 2. Back where it all began, for me at least. My journey to watch Sampdoria play Roma. One month to the day since my first, and at this point, only trip around Italy in pursuit of calcio, I really pushed the boat out. The gruelling voyage of discovery to watch Sampdoria took me about 15 minutes, which was most satisfyingly easy. The game was a Wednesday night affair, and given that I had work on the Wednesday afternoon, and then again on the Thursday morning, venturing too far from home would have been tricky. So, after starting with Il Toro, game number two was Sampdoria versus Roma. In a way, this game brought me back full circle to my Italian football origins, if that doesn't sound too grand or la-di-da. When I was but a child, my first interest in Italian football blossomed through Gazzetta Football Italia with James Richardson and Roma winning the Scudetto. Playing for them at that time were Totti, Battistuta, Montella and Del Vecchio. But over the years, three of them had departed. Totti's arse had got much bigger, and I had, at least outwardly, lost interest in obsessing over football, instead trying to blend in with the rest of my age group and their interests in more trivial things like school, girls and booze. Then, when I came to Italy, in 2008, my first game was watching Sampdoria play Juventus. Compared to Scottish football and straining to watch a match at Easter Road through the rolling sleet, this was a revelation. It was sunny. I probably wore a t-shirt. There were flags, banners and flares all over the shop. It was another world. Since then, I found myself belonging to another parish, so this game felt a bit like crossing over to the dark side. When I went to buy my ticket from the Samp store, I was unreasonably worried that people might see and judge me, so I went in camouflage, which was very much in fashion at the time. This followed the discovery of a member of the Genoa coaching staff hiding in a wood above Sampdoria's training ground, dressed in camouflage gear in the run-up to a derby that had taken place the week prior. Needless to say, Rambo made for an amusing news story, and caused much scandal and faux outrage that another team might try and do something underhand before a big match. Heaven forbid! And in Italy, home of godliness and purity of all places. But anyway, initial reconnaissance done, I was ready to go behind enemy lines to see what information I could glean. My inside man was Simone, who for much of this chapter I owe a debt of gratitude to. If he ever wants to come to the stadium with me, he's more than welcome, 
although I suspect this offer will not be taken up. Il calcio e di chi lo ama runs the slogan of the league. Football belongs to those who love it. Simone certainly loves football, and Sampdoria in particular, so who better to answer my questions than he? Of course, football doesn't belong to him, just as we don't own the atoms in our bodies. It is, at best, on loan, the property of a larger being. But, if you'll excuse the cosmicism for a minute, while our atoms belong to an infinite galaxy of an unimaginable age, football is owned by a gaggle of rich men and companies, who, as long as we behave ourselves, let us think that we own it too. The people's game has mutated beyond all recognition, but the illusion that it is still what it once was is both a sop and a slap in the face to fans. Without punters, the TV camera cutaways to the stands would be a sad thing indeed, while hearing the players shout at each other during the match would be like watching a high-level Sunday league match. But fans are almost always the lowest rung on the ladder of priorities. We are rarely spoken to, save for occasional praise or criticism. We are increasingly subject to the whims of TV companies and the promised golden pastures of foreign markets, even if the number of people in Far East Asia wanting to watch Verona versus Torino on a Monday night is open for debate. Fans matter to the fans, not to the clubs. That's why speaking to fans is so important to me. I made the conscious decision to not contact clubs for access or interviews, because if I spoke to them, I worried I might compromise my goal, to find out what their team meant to the fans. I didn't want to get a sanitised view of modern football and fandom as filtered through a club's PR department or a media-trained, cliché-spouting player. So, while not being an ultra, Simone is exactly the kind of person I wanted to speak to. Before all that, though, you may be interested to know a little about the team. Unione Calcio Sampdoria, in their current incarnation, were pretty late to the Italian football party. A hybrid of two teams from Genoa, San Pier Daranese and Andrea Doria, who had been around since the 1890s, it wasn't until 1946 that the Samp we see today were formed. Their strip is pretty unique, and combines aspects of both their disparate parts, the blue of Andrea Doria and the red, white and black of San Pier Daranese. In a world of black and another colour vertical stripes, or one Q shirts, it's refreshing to see something different once in a while. For any football strip anoraks out there, the Dundee Football Club strips of 1992 to 94 were similar in homage. Sampdoria supporters go by the nicknames Blucerchiati, a reference to their strip, blue and a hoop, or the more obvious Doriani. The symbol, Il Bacicca, is pretty distinctive and shows the silhouette of a man smoking a pipe. His name comes from a shortened version of Giovanni Battista, John the Baptist, who is the patron saint of the city. A couple of years ago, this came under fire for showing someone smoking, and campaigners wanted the club to remove the pipe from his mouth. Thankfully, this was given short shrift, and to this day, I still haven't seen a child influenced by the football team's badge to the extent that they start smoking pipes. More's the pity, as health risks aside, it'd be a pretty cool kid, I'd say. 
Despite being formed relatively recently in footballing terms, Sampdoria have not done too badly. They were the last team to win the championship from outside the Rome-Milan-Turin axis in the 1990-91 season and won the Coppa Italia three times in the 1980s. They have also made three appearances in the European finals. In 1988-89, they lost to Barcelona in the Cup Winners' Cup, before tasting victory in 89-90, when they beat Anderlecht in the same competition. Further European glory was snatched away from them at Wembley by Ronald Koeman and Barcelona again in 91-92. Since then, they've been up and down between Serie A and B a couple of times, and reached a Coppa Italia final a few years back. Players-wise, they haven't done too badly for themselves down the years. Graham Souness, David Platt, Des Walker, Lee Sharp and Trevor Francis have all pulled on their shirts, not to mention the likes of Mancini, Viali, Veron and Hulit. Not such a bad roll call, although I will concede that Lee Sharp isn't in the same league as the others. When I asked Simone, seeing as he's a Samp man who his favourite player was, he told me, I've been a Samp fan since nursery, and I remember that I liked Trevor Francis's name. I never saw him play, though I've seen lots of great players. But of all of these, I'd say Viali for one particular reason. Years after having retired, he said that his biggest regret was losing the Champions League final with Samp. He's a sentimental chap, is our Simone. I met him pre-match for a brief libation. Rehydrated, we made our way upriver to our destination, the great little Ferrari Stadium, although feel free to call it Marassi. This, you see, is the area it's in, and most people call it by that instead of its official name. The same goes for the stadium in Milan, officially called Stadio Giuseppe Meazza, but in the San Siro neighbourhood. Maybe learn something new every day, eh? The stadium may ring a bell for anyone who remembers the Italy versus Serbia game a few years ago that was held there, or rather, the cancellation of said game after members of the Serb support caused mayhem by trying to cut and smash their way through the wire and plexiglass fences. Keen to make a political statement, they were front page news for the next few days, and the perceived ringleader came to be dubbed Ivan the Terrible. Crucially for Ivan, he had an arresting line of distinctive tattoos, and so when the police eventually found him hiding in the luggage compartment of a coach, it didn't take long to identify him. One of the jibes that the other Genoese team, Genoa, throw at Samp fans is that they aren't really from the city, but more from the suburbs or region in general. I wanted to get Simone's thoughts on this, and to find out if he felt that Sampdoria still had a strong connection with the local area. Despite what Genoa supporters say, Samp is absolutely Genoese. It all started from the coming together of two teams who wanted their own team without depending on the English. Genoa was founded by a group of Englishmen. Furthermore, beating Juventus or a Milanese team is a great joy for a Sampdoriano, and this comes from the centuries-old rivalry between Genoa, the city, Turin and Milan. I remember a Samp match against Pisa when I was young, when for the first time I saw the hatred between fans. It was a rivalry that came from medieval times in the maritime republics. Apart from the big teams, Milan, Inter or Juve, in Italy, which team you support is closely connected with where you're from. As we made our way past the stadium in the direction of our turnstiles, 
a song was carried on the wind and into our ears. The Roma supporters had, it seemed, already arrived in the stadium and were serenading those early bird Sampdoriani with Torneretti in Serie you're going back down. As ever, the visiting supporters at the stadium are guests as gracious as Richard Dawkins at an evangelical christening. The stadium here bucks the trend of most Italian stadia. Pretty much every city's stadium is owned by the local council and gets rented out to the football teams, and so many have running tracks and the most basic of facilities. In Genoa, the facilities are the same, greeting the user with an overwhelming aroma of what can only be described as too many men's piss. And that's just the bar. The stadium is owned by the council, but when it was designed for Italia 90, the architect thankfully didn't include a running track and instead made it very British in appearance, i.e. the stands, literally, within spitting distance of the pitch. We were in the Gradinata Nord, the North Stand, which isn't the hardcore supporters stand, but is favoured by Simone, so that's where I went. I have been in the Gradinata Sud, the Samp home end, before for a game of theirs a few years ago in the UEFA Cup, so I can tick the box of having been with the mental supporters. On that occasion, it was a bit too mental for me, as there was a fight between two guys a couple of yards away from me. So I was happy in the north. We sat ourselves down in seats designed for fat arsed dwarves. The leg room on offer is less than you can find on a Ryanair flight, and waited for the fun to commence. Just before kickoff, the Gradinata Sud was making a hell of a racket. It was packed, flags and flares everywhere, and kept up a constant chorus for about 15 minutes, which was a great sight and sound. This being Italy, there are multiple ultras groups, but the most prominent are, in no particular order, the ultras Tito Cucchioroni, the Fedelissimi, and the Fieri del Fossato. These all inhabit the Gradinata Sud on match days and are easily identified by their multiple flags and banners. When I went to have a look at the website of the Fedelissimi, I was greeted with Garone, Samp's president, give us a surprise, find yourself a replacement, we've run out of patience. Needless to say, they're not entirely happy with the direction of the club. They would get their wish when, just after the end of the season, the Garone family gave up their stake in the club and were replaced by Massimo Ferrero, a.k.a. Erviperetta. Many people first thought it was Michele, he of the chocolates that are the talk of ambassadorial soirees. Instead, it was Massimo, no relation, who has made his money from producing films, a large part of which have either been comedies or a bit blue. He quickly made a name for himself as being one of the more eccentric owners, and since certainly brought a dash of colour to the director's box. The name of the ultras Tito Cucchioroni may give the impression that they were named after someone. This is because they were. They were the first Italian supporters group to use the word ultra in the title, while the titular Tito played for Samp in the early 1960s, and his name was chosen ahead of countless other players of the time, because, as the legend goes, after coming off during a match, he spurned the opportunity to sulk in the changing room or on the bench and instead watched the remainder of the game from the Gradinata Sud with the rest of the fans. Let this be a lesson to modern-day players. Signing ever more lucrative contracts and kissing the badge when you score makes you a legend not. Getting so close to the punters that they can breathe your rarefied air is the key to their hearts. Some of the biggest flags being waved read 1999. This seemed odd, 
as that was the second last time they were relegated, which would be a strange thing to celebrate. In actual fact, it was the year in which the Fieri del Fossato was created, when two other supporters' clubs came together. Me? I just thought they all really liked Prince. The game itself lived up to expectations, in so much as Samp aren't very good and Roma are. Before the game, Simone had gloomily suggested that my book and the season might end with Samp's relegation, and although they were pretty organised defensively, up front they were as toothless as a geriatric cat. Goals from Benatia, nice wee run then fell over, but still scored while lying on the ground, and Gervinho, remember him Arsenal fans, he can score goals here, made it 0-2. Both of these goals came in the second half, and woke up the Roma fans who had been quite quiet up to that point, but there's nothing like a goal to remind you to sing and let off some smoke bombs. Around this time, Simone was starting to get a bit agitated, and at one point jumped up to remonstrate and question the moral fibre and profession of the referee's mum. He's normally such a quiet guy, but this is an important part of his life, as he told me when I asked what it meant to him to be a supporter. It's the feeling of being part of a family. Although I'm not a hardcore fan, when I have to work and can't see the game, I feel like a part of me is missing. From that point of view, summer is terrible. In general, I love football. I like watching matches of any team, but nothing is comparable to the physical need of watching my team. Even if they play badly or lose, the important thing for me is to watch them. The game had kind of petered out, but the Doriani kept up their singing. One of the things that interests me, and I would like to investigate a bit in this book, is if clubs in Italy still have a connection with the supporters beyond their historical roots, and how, if at all, this has changed in football's money-spinning recent years. The bond has changed because football has changed, Simone told me. These days, a lot of supporters want to fight against football fixtures being dictated by TV or against the restrictions brought about by the Tessera del Tifoso, a kind of supporter's ID card which you have to get to get a season ticket. Many fans say they only support the strip because they're against football as a business and the disappointment of players who switch teams so often, meaning more contracts and more money for their agents. I just want to see my team play though. More than anything else, I still appreciate Samp's ex-players, even if they were only with us for a couple of years. I still sometimes look on Wikipedia to see what they're doing now after their career, or if they're playing for another team, I hope that when, or if, they come back here, they wave to our fans, because that means they haven't forgotten us. With the final whistle came time to head home. My route normally involves a really long and steep staircase, with the steps painted in the blue, black, red and white of Samp. Before starting this leg-draining ascent, though, I had one last thing on my mind. Now, I'm not a prude about bad language, but while fun and full of energy, the stadia here don't strike me as being particularly safe, and inside the ground seem almost entirely out of control of the authorities. If he had a kid, would he bring him or her with him? Why not? Football in the stadium is a world away from football on TV, so the sooner he or she starts coming, the better. It might be better if they didn't see me insulting the referee and the other team, but yeah, I'd be happy if they had the same passion for Samp as I do. And with that said, we went our separate ways, 
into the night.